Welcome to another episode of Shark Stories. And again, I'm joined by Sarah. It's great to have you, Sarah. And this story is really insane. It's not the position I would like to be in. It's about the new venture. The boat was called The New Venture and about Ray Boundy. And the story is blood-curdling, I suppose, to the fact that they actually based a movie on this. The movie was called The Reef. And subsequently, the sequel to that had nothing to do with what actually happened in July 1983. So let's just get right into it with the new venture and Ray Boundy. On Friday evening of July the 22nd, 1983, the new venture prepared to set off from the tropical city of Townsville in northeastern Australia. So very warm waters. We know very much about the Great Barrier Reef. We also know that the Coral Sea, which is, which is just off the Barrier Reef, is known to have some of the big sharks. So there are bull sharks, there are tiger sharks, and there will be great whites. But all of the, the main species of sharks, it's a very sharky area, effectively the Coral Sea. The captain of the 40-meter prawn trawler was Ray Boundy. He was very young for his role and to be able to be running this boat on his own at the age of 27, but he was already a father of two and he was a very experienced sea captain. And he'd been in the sea all his life. He grew up with his father and... And he'd been a deckhand for many, many years. So he really knew the sea well. He also knew sharks. And so he understood them. His, his second captain was Dennis Murphy. He was nicknamed Smurf. And he was a 23-year-old deckhand from Brisbane. Dennis's girlfriend, Linda Horton, was only 21. And she was the youngest of the three. And served as the onboard cook. Now, they were going to spend a couple of weeks out at sea. And her parents begged her not to go. There's always little side stories to these events. She was humming and hawing because the wind was blowing quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, we can mention, we know we live in the Southern Hemisphere that, that July is, um, is winter. Not that I think that Northern Australia would feel too much effect or ill effect, but maybe there was some, what we would call in South Africa, Cape Rough, those big rolling swells from the Cape after a cold front that might have mm-hmm. been going out to sea. So there could have been something like that. You would usually see the crew spend a couple of weeks at, um, at sea or often resting or doing odd jobs most of the daylight hours. And this was really just a very simple mundane routine. And then um, resting, and then in the evening, that, that's when the hard work starts, because they had a sh- it was a shrimp boat, effectively, and that's what they were, they were doing all the catches. And uh, they'd work on right through the night to, to see if they can land a decent catch. The setting off and leaving friends and family behind could be one of the hardest parts of the jobs. And on Friday, Linda or Lindy, as, as friends affectionately called her, was even more reluctant than usual. And she was quite superstitious, as I'd mentioned before. Um, but her parents said, look, go for it. It's a couple of weeks. You'll love it. No matter what they said, she wouldn't be persuaded otherwise. Without wasting any time, the new venture departed. They were headed for the rich commercial fishing grounds that lay between Townsville and the Great Barrier Reef. And knowing the sooner they got down to work, the sooner they could get back to their loved ones and onto dry land. The wind that had unsettled Lindy in the beginning on leaving Port refused to relent. And by Sunday evening, the waves had started building. By that night, the new venture was in heavy seas. And the small trawler was being tossed about in the swell. And there would be no reprieve. Sometime after midnight, they felt the force of a massive wave, which swamped the boat. And uh, Dennis on deck getting drenched dived into the sea so he wouldn't get hit um, and get stuck under the boat so it was quite clever that he did but Ray and Lindy were stuck in the wheelhouse nonetheless when the boat went upside down they all came together and 
and they pulled themselves onto the overturned hell, wondering what to do next. So now me, I have to be honest, I would have stayed on that overturned hell until it sunk. But they disgusted and, you know, Ray, you know, he spent his life in the water to uh, convince them otherwise. So the three decided the new venture, where the new venture had capsized and they knew roughly where they were, but 90 kilometers from their home of Townsville and around 45 kilometers from Palm Islands, and that was their aim. Items on board were floating alongside them and they did their best to tie them together, some sort of surfboard and some sort of life and buoyancy devices. So basically a, a life raft. It was now Monday morning and though the sun was already up, they couldn't see any land on the horizon. And nevertheless, there were a number of reefs to the east and they fancied their chances. And off they went. And the first day went quite well. And the coral sea is quite warm even at this time of year and around 23 degrees Celsius. So they, they had no immediate worries of hypothermia and the progress was slow, but they were very positive. It was on Monday night that the shark appeared. It was a large tiger shark around five meters in length. Unlike the great white shark, the tiger has what's called a nictating membrane, a kind of translucent eyelid that can slide down and cover the eye. Also finding animals such as crocodiles and birds of prey in tiger sharks as film enhances their vision in low light conditions, making them supreme nocturnal predators. So although Ray, Smurf and Lindy could see the shark, the shark could see them much better. Bounder as an experienced fisherman was familiar with sharks and felt as often is the case, that the shark would lose interest and swim away, as long as they didn't provoke it. Rough seas had dismantled their raft over the previous day, but it finally eased off, and they still had a few remaining items to help them stay afloat. So cautiously, with one eye over their shoulders, they continued onwards. Instinctively, just as the shark nipped his left knee, he kicked out at it with his other leg. Luckily for Ray, there was only a test bite, and the bulky figure below retreated. Lacking hands but having extremely sensitive snouts and jaws, many shark species will investigate unusual objects in the water to determine what they are. So 10 minutes later, the shark reappeared um, from a watchful distance and it started circling. And its fin would dip in and out of the water. Now this for me would be insane. There was an uncertain pause broken suddenly when Smurf screamed out, he's got my leg. The bastard's got my leg. Having worked before, Boundy shouted, kick him, kick him. Grabbed by the calf, Smurf kicked Downwards blindly with his free leg, proved futile, his foot only hitting the shark's hard jaws and snout. With a sudden yank, the deckhand was pulled below the surface momentarily disappearing. Boundy swam across to see if he could find his friend, and his friend popped back up, and the shark had let him go. But effectively, the whole group was demoralized, and what um, Smurf did was just one of the most brave things you can do. Um, he said, you guys bolt. Gathering all the stuff, leave me here. And with brave resolution, hoping to lure the shark away, Murphy said goodbye, pushed off away from the other two and swam in the opposite direction. As the two remaining crew members swam off towards the reef with an instantly regrettable glance back, they saw the shark turn on Murphy and lift him out of the water and Ray and Lindy looked away. Traumatized by what had happened, Lindy screamed uncontrollably and Ray couldn't get her under control. But finally she started settling because it was another 12 hours later and they were really getting towards the reef. And, um, and her spirit started to lift as the sunrise was still a few hours off, but starting to get closer. Within two hours, the shark came back. Was it the same shark? They felt almost certain it was and they just couldn't shake it off. There was an area of familiarity to the long sashaying fin that signaled its return. They were holding hands together and watching it the whole time. And just suddenly out of nowhere, it shot towards Lindy 
and grabbed her around her top torso. And as it bit through, Lindy just managed to go, small little sound, and she was dead, which was um, the best, I suppose. Yeah. So now Boundy was on his own and paddling on towards the reef, totally numb by now. It felt inevitable when the shape of the tiger shark would draw near. And it did. He said he didn't even feel fear anymore. He was just too drained. He just actually wanted this all to end. But he could see Lodestone Reef up ahead. So it's just the timing. He was pushed more towards the reef with the, with the rising swells. And with the last big effort, he scrambled ashore. And he scraped, scraping his skin against the rocks and rough coral as he pulled himself onto the ledge. He burst into manic laughter, feeling of triumph and relief washing over him. And a helicopter came to pick him up. And when they finally rescued Boundy, he had been in the water for an incredibly 36 hours. Though with his raw skin, dehydrated lips and some bleached hair, beard and brows, he looked like he had spent decades in the water. He was treated for cuts and exposure, but went on to make a full recovery. Um, in the interview with the Sunday Press, Boundy hit out at what he called vicious rumors and gossip about what happened back in July 1983. As a sole survivor and with such dramatic tale, it is perhaps inevitable that some in Townsville were withdrawn to speculate on the supposed real version of events. So none of us will ever know, but the movie The Reef was based, let me rather say loosely based on it. Sarah, just first of all, this can be believable. I mean, it's similar, to, it's similar in some way, I suppose, to the Indianapolis, but there was only one shark yes. at, at one given time. So, Well, it's again, it's complicated because um, if he say that he saw a, a tiger shark, they're very recognizable. They have these stripes on them. And they are opportunistic predators. They are amongst all sharks, the one that can also eat birds and turtles very easily. Whatever they can feed on, they will opportunistically go for it. They're not that fussy. Um, five meter, possibly. I also believe that um, the size of the shark around somebody is uh, very directly dependent on how big the vessel the people are. Um, if somebody tells me they saw a seven-meter white shark, I'd always ask, were you on a three-meter boat? And they, they say, mm. yes, I truly believe them. Mm. No, the shark will look like a seven-meter mm. shark on a three-meter vessel. Um, but everything bigger than you is big enough, right? Exactly. Uh, tiger sh- and sharks can see very well at night. Like you say, they have, uh, it's called tapetum lucidum. Let's pay, speak Latin. <laughs> um, Scientific. And it's, be- it's the same that, that cat has. Now, when you drive at night, if you have your lights on a cat, that the lights is reflected back and the li- eyes look green, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. It's an extra membrane inside the eye that uh, enhances the little bit of light that comes in. And sharks also have that. Wow. So all sharks or just? All sharks. Oh, wow. So uh, what the nictating membrane is a, a palpebra that covers the shark eyes to protect it. In most sharks, where the white shark just rolled the eye at the back of the skull. Yeah, so they you can often roll see when it, you see it, it's, it's, it's almost white. like it's got a socket, Yeah, exa- exactly. And, and they can roll it. I did a dissection a few years ago. It was very yucky. Uh, but you can, you can r- roll it by hand. It's very loose. Okay. And they use it to protect it because this, the back of the eyes is very strong. But wow. it's not a membrane on top. Mm. Where the tiger shark have the membrane. Okay. So, so, so And they close it, you know, to protect it as well. 
Uh, from damage, from so it damage. could be like an animal clawing at it That's or whatever right. it might be. When they're eating, when they're trying to get a prey, they will use it, the the membrane to to protect their eye from being scratched. Okay, okay. But so now you've got a big shark. Um, so so we we agree that there can be one, just one shark. In a situation like that, yes, probably because it's a very small area. It's a short period of time. The shark uh, can see that he can, you know, have a easy. Um, something something is moving in the water and they are curious, they're predators. Mm. So they will go and investigate. They don't have very long memories. So it could also be that he investigated once, then he, if he saw that, you know, they, they buy the first guy and he didn't taste like he was expecting, he moved away. Then he forgot about it. He came back, so something is moving in the water again. Mm. And he didn't link the two situations okay. and it does it all over again. Mm. So more than being a vicious animal that keeps on trying, mm. I think they just have very short-term memory. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. It's not an aggressive, um, I'm coming to hunt you all and Mm-mm. I will get you. It's um, just it's opportunistic. Exactly. It's like, oh, uh, something is moving. Let's see what that mm. is. Then it gives a bite and, like, oh. mm. and then he forgets and then he comes back. But um, in this instance, yeah, more than we don't know if he devoured. Um, no, we don't exactly the other two but, victims. And looking at all of the previous uh, accident that we look at, they normally don't. Mm. It's really rare that a shark consumes a person. Look, he made it. He was in the water for thirty-six hours. That's bad. So it was. It is bad. But it. But but for me, it shows that um, the. I mean, sharks can eat a lot. I mean, if it's a five-meter, even if it was a four-meter tiger shark, mm-hmm. the size of that mouth, it can take a 20-pound, it can take a 10-kilogram bite quite comfortably many, many times over It's uh, if it's going to feed. And it would probably want to feed on all three at the same time. So it's... I think, you see, they don't, they can't, they can't eat all the time. Um, so they will spend a long period of time without eating. So when they have the opportunity of of eating something, they will take advantage and then stop for white shark and stop eating for months. For months? Yeah. They found a dead uh, dolphin in a shark's stomach that was two months old. Wow. Okay. Okay. So that's 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 incredible. And then just from a behavioral perspective, the tiger shark, because um, I've known – You've, you've you've talked about tiger sharks as being like teddy bears. If you compare them to the white sharks, the, yeah, um, that's my Kratzen uh, version. Okay, uh, they, they are like puppies. Uh, if you do something wrong, they are the one that tell you they're sorry. Okay. So uh, what what I learned from Mike and and also Walter Bernardis, he is African water sport is a dive center in Durban, and Walter Bernardis have been diving with tiger shark for decades. And he was telling us how they did a movie in 2005 called Shark Man, where Mike Ratzen would try all different species of shark and put them in tonic immobility by touching the ampoule of Lorenzini. Yeah, so what that, so I just wanted to explain that means is that you basically uh, turn the shark over and then it goes into like a type of coma. Yes, they okay. makes it sleepy. Okay. But not all species react the same. A white shark, if you do it by touching their nose, they just go upside down and they gape a little bit and then they wake up again. But they don't stop moving. Uh, Raggies will stop moving. Um, lemon shark, you can put them upside down, they stop moving. Uh, 
tiger, they try on their nose because that is where most of their Ampollo florentini in most species are located. But this sense is different for, either, for every species. So you have different pores, different number, different length. And when they try to touch the nose of the tiger shark, the tiger shark would just open his mouth. That didn't work out for the movie. Then Mike left and Walter kept on trying and he moved from the nose that tends to be very rough because they bump uh, their prey with their nose. They go into the sand trying to move uh, fishes out of the sand. So instead of touching the nose, he started touching the eyes. And that is where the shark, the tiger shark went into tonic. Oh, really? And touching yeah. the eyes? So the, the snout uh, touch actually triggered the shark to open his mouth, Okay. which makes sense in the story here. Yes. That he, he tried to kick the nose mm. and the shark opened his mouth. Yeah. So shark behavior-wise, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, maybe it would be nice if you'd known all of these things. But Yeah, no, in a situation <laughs> like that, I wouldn't go and play with the shark eyes or... Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's just a to, terrible no, situation to be like in. it is like, get the hell out. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, if the event happened or not, and it's, you know, it seems very believable. It was an insane story. Like I said, it was made into a movie called The Reef. And um, just, I think my take out of this is the short-term memory, Sarah. You know, um, it's not a mindless killer. No, they do what, what they're supposed to be doing, yeah, exactly. which is trying to eat without spending energy. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for listening to the Shark Stories. Shark Stories is proudly sponsored by the Shark Safe Barrier, the first uh, shark-specific and eco-friendly solution to the shark-human conflict.